Hey everyone, we're back again with another week of Find Your Film. This is, I'm trying to think of a very, very catchy thing that we, we stay, say at the beginning of the episode, but we, we three, what, Bruce, can you, can you think of a catchy thing? I'm thinking, we three guys. <laughs> no, no. That's we, Eric's job. He's the catchy, come off the cuff guy. Eric, do you have an off the cuff, like, punchline that we can do every week for Find Your Film? Like, a, something catchy, like, hey, brought to you by the three guys who do what? What? Hey, we're Find Your Film and we party. All right, we're Find Your we're Find Your Film and we party. Simple and elegant. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> use that. I'm gonna cut all my voice. That's that's a g- good thing. We party. Eric definitely parties, and we give you weekly movie recommendations. Hopefully, you follow some of our insights, advice, or tips on movies to watch and get back to us because we love to hear some of your movie recommendations as well. I I we we do party. Bruce, when's the last time you partied? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's been a while. Well, I mean, if you consider us talking about serenity and drinking a bottle of two-day-old wine, that's partying, right? Yes, by the that way, counts. That, I, I was jealous. That he, he, by the way, his name for people who actually watch our, our video podcast, I'm going to upload that this week, Bruce. I've, I've decided to, I'm going to upload the video podcast. We're, we're going to do different things with Find Your Film this week with Rustomeyer. If you want to actually... The thing is, Bruce Perky was actually uploading on a weekly basis our video podcast on Rustomeyer. Selfishly, though, I miss Bruce Perky actually going off on his own and doing his own movie reviews for Rustomeyer. I did miss that as a fan of his work. So he's going to be spending much more time. <laughs> he's Bruce Perky's actually mouth. No, I did not fire you. Yeah, well, by the way, Perko and Perko and Mod. Where I'm singing the praises of your movie reviews, Perko and Mod. That has to deal with what Bruce Perky? Do you want to you want to say what does Perko and Mod? Your name, Perko and Mod, mean? Uh, you know, it's it's just my favorite movie of all time, Harold and Mod. That's all. That's all. And I, I apologize, Perko and Maude, Bruce Perky. I forgot to actually watch Harold and Maude this week. That was my bad. But I, I, I did see it this year. I have a very good memory. And uh, But we're going to talk about that. And eventually, we're going to be talking about how that be. But we're going to talk about, about a very personal thing for Bruce. This segment, we, we have Eric Holmes, Herman Mankerics. <laughs> Mankerics. Mankerics. <laughs> Mankerics. I like that. Mank, M-A-N-K-E-R-I-C-S. That is a straight, everyone knows Herman Mankiewicz. That is a straight reference to Mank, directed by David Fincher. That's going to be our big review along with Harold and Ma this week. Eric Holmes, are you a huge fan of David Fincher? And are you excited to be talking about Herman Mankiewicz and Mank? Yes and yes. Very good. uh, David Fincher, as far as I can tell, and some may disagree, but uh, I don't think he's made a bad movie yet. We'll see if this was the one. Ooh. I don't think so. <laughs> you just you get, got a really nice teaser, and then you tease yourself out of it. But okay, well, it might be one of my favorites of the year. I I I can't wait to see what Bruce Porky thinks of Herman Mankiewicz and Mank. I'm really excited for that. Excited about Harold and Maude. My moniker is Greg likes to quote unquote wander. There's a movie this week comes out this week on December fourth called wander which i am surprising you guys with you i haven't talked about this film and i can't wait to this will be my second and final movie recommendation this week now before we get to mank do you guys have any movie rewinds whatsoever to speak of before we get into the big kahuna for movie recommendations sort of it's not technically a rewind because we didn't review it last time 
but we did review the other two versions of this. I, uh, you mentioned that there was a Kirk Douglas version of Inherit the Wind in 1988, which yes. uh, I learned yes. last week, value added, as this show is and as Greg is. Thank you. And pretty, pretty much, and you guys could attest to this, as soon as we got done recording, first thing I did was I'm finding that thing. I'm watching it right now. And uh, this was, I, I love both versions of Inherent the Wind. I love this one. This is the. You love this one? Yeah, I did a lot. A lot. Whoa. The, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, you mentioned like the, uh, like the uh, filmmaking aspect of the other two. And sure. th- this one feels more like a director trying to throw some director type chops into it at the beginning. And then the middle, once they get to the court, it becomes pretty much word for word like the other two as you know it, i mean it's a it's a great play it's a great story i don't know why you would want to change anything uh kirk douglas is fantastic in this the my brain sucks and i can't remember uh george c scott and jared mcgavin kolchak right? oh no the the same character the same character that uh kirk douglas played was oh. the same one that george c scott played and i cannot remember the, the Spencer Tracy, maybe I can't it's remember. Spencer who. Tracy or Frederick March. Spencer Tracy or, or Frederick. Okay, March. Well, whichever one. My my brain doesn't work. As if you listen to us, you know this already. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I think Kirk Douglas is by far the best one to uh, play that character. He because he, he's hateful in it as the rest of them are, but he's Kirk Douglas and he's got that kind of oh I love Kirk Douglas. So I, I kind of wanted to, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked him. And I wanted to agree with him, even though everything that comes out of his mouth just made me furious. But I, I couldn't be mad at him. He is likable, uh, but does he bring that Kirk Douglas edge with the edge that he does? That's really, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the character already has that edge to him anyway, and so Kirk Douglas brings his likability into it, and it, it's it's a great marriage of the uh, character and actor, I think. And I wish there was a version with Kirk Douglas versus Jack Lemmon. Mm. that like that version or and this was a this was a huge miss opportunity now jason grobards is great in this because he's very understated and yeah. he's kind of getting walked over as his character does but man darren darren mcgavin was right there <laughs> he was right there he, he should have played the the jack lemon character in this um yeah. but you know as it was, it was just another great adaptation of a great story and a great play in Inherit the Wind. Pick one. All three of them are great as far as I'm concerned. And that version, the Kirk Douglas version, as we speak, as we tape, this episode is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. So that version of Inherit the Wind, like Eric Holmes says, I tried watching it 15 minutes and it felt like a TV movie to me, but I'm, I'd rather trust Eric Holmes because he is the expert when it comes to all the iterations of Inherit the Wind. Okay. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense. They're all, all three of them are TV movies. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, makes sense that they would feel that way. Yeah. Uh, the 1960 version is a real film. It's a, cin- it's a cinematic film. It's the one I would say definitely go see. But again, I've only checked out that a little bit of that version, but Bruce, you liked you liked the um, the Jack Lemmon version, though. You you yeah, recommend that? I one thought as that well. was really good. I, I don't think it was in, enormously cinematic. It definitely was, and I think all of them, in some degree, aren't because they get into the courtroom and then it becomes mostly courtroom. But it was 
really great. And like I said, I think in my review was that to see both actors literally at the end of their lives being so vibrant and so effective and doing these meaty roles was great. So, okay, cool. Inherit the wind part. I was going to say part two, part trio, part three, part, part trio, tres, tres leches, Bruce Perky. Do you have yes. a movie rewind for this week? I do not. Okay, you do not. So then we are going straight to available. Releasing globally on Netflix December 4th, 2020 is David Fincher's Mank. The story of Herman Mankiewicz, the co-writer of Citizen Kane. Co- when I say co-writer, he's actually the writer. He's the one who came up with the first draft of the script of Citizen Kane. When we talk about Citizen Kane, we think about most people know it's the Wonderkind, 24-year-old Orson Welles, his debut, Citizen Kane made him a star. If you go a little bit deeper, people also all would like would like to say the production of John John Houseman, or maybe the, the lensing of Greg Toland. All of these names are bandied about, but the story of Herman Mankiewicz is probably really not, unless you're a, a Citizen Kane enthusiast, the story of Herman Mankiewicz is very... Little, little known, little known. And Bruce Perky, since you were the last one to see it, meaning you were the f- first one, you have the freshest take on Mank. You know, shot in black and white. Obviously, since mm-hmm. David Fincher, digital master of digital filmmaking. What were, you, what was your original thoughts on Mank? Well, it, I had a, I had an evolving experience with Mank, and I would say that, and I am a fan of David Fincher. I'll put that right on the table. I, I would agree with Eric. I don't think that. He's made a bad movie and he's made a few great or spectacular movies, in my opinion. Um, I would say for the first 45 to 50 minutes of this movie, I was wondering, I was wondering, is it just going to be, you know, um, references and, you know, people from the past. And like, if you're a movie buff, it's just like catnip. But if you're not, there's another thing to it. And it's just kind of sequence after sequence after sequence. But slowly but surely, it wormed into my brain and the pattern started congealing and it really, really came on strong for the second half of the movie. And now I really want to go back and watch the first half of the movie again because of how awesome it kind of unfolds. And it went from not so sure to at least a four-star movie. And I feel like this is one of those movies that could get a ton of rewatches and become deeper and deeper and deeper. And the more you know about movies and history of movies and classic Hollywood, the more you'll get out of this movie too. So I, 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 in the long run, I would say four star, probably going to be at least four and a half star in my book. What made you, what was the worming part? Was it the narrative, the the actual rhythms of the narrative, meaning you, you slowly got into the character of Herman Magwitz played by Gary Oldman, the, no, a lot of the movies is based with him basically in bed in uh, where San Joaquin Valley or that whole area. And, um, or Vic, no, I mean Victorville in that Victorville home. And he's just reminiscing a lot of times. And no, I, I wouldn't say, I would say it is somewhat is the rhythm and kind of getting into the, the mode of it. I thought it, I think I thought of it like this. If you started out on a, a pointillism picture, you know, you start out on a painting and you were just really close to it. And all you saw were just all the different dots and colors. And as you slowly drew away from the picture, the whole pattern would take shape and you would see the beauty of the entire piece. I think this movie works like that if you give it your time. Very cool. 
Eric Holmes. Like Bruce, you love David Fincher. Mank. Yes. Do you think it's a little bit too inside baseball? People like me who love, and Bruce, we, we love movies from yesteryear, so it's catnip for us. Do you think this movie is a little bit too inside baseball, or is that not fair as far as judging the I story? I mean, there's definitely a bunch of uh, cameos and little hints and stuff that, you know, the more you know about uh, old school filmmaking and the more you know about Citizen Kane and so on and so forth, you'll probably get more out of it than those that don't. But in, by the way, I don't, I've seen Citizen Kane a couple of times, but I'm not, I'm not steeped into it. Uh, like a lot of people are, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's decent story and it's actually, it's a pretty good story. And, you know, Gary Oldman's awesome in it, which is redundant because <laughs> when is Gary Oldman not great in everything he's in, but uh, the, like David Fincher, I, first of all, I love his movies but they're very frustrating for me. The first, with him, Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, and lately Aaron Sorkin. When their movies come out, I just want them to be over. I I want to get it in me. I want to get the movie in me as fast as I can. <laughs> <laughs> and so the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, uh huh, uh huh, and I'm just I'm just taking it all in, and I just want to get it in like Neo. I just want to plug it in the back of my neck and just have it instantly in my head. Once I get past that. Uh, then it's uh, this movie I mentioned to you guys off air. It reminded me a lot of Zodiac because the first time I saw Zodiac, it, it was the first David Fincher movie that I saw where I was expecting something. I was expecting seven and it wasn't seven. And I was like, okay, that's, it's not quite. And it wasn't quite, you know, wasn't quite hitting me like, like it did. I was like, it's still pretty good, but it's not seven. And then I watched Zodiac again. And it's like, no, this is pretty good. This is almost as good as Seven. Then I watched it a couple more times. Go, oh, Zodiac's way better than Seven, <laughs> and Seven's fantastic. So, the, this movie kind of had that same same thing because I've seen it twice now. And the first time, I just wanted to get it in me. And the second time, I'm starting to like kind of like like Bruce says, it's kind of worming its way in me. And I think this is going to be that. This is probably going to be one of my favorite David Fincher movies in the long run after I watch it you know, seven, 800 more times. Um, <laughs> and I, and I will gladly do it because there's, there's so many, uh, even watching it the second time, there's so many little details and fun little things you can pick apart. And I kind of want to watch Citizen Kane again before mm-hmm. I watch it again, just to kind of pick up on those. It, uh, one, one thing I picked up on, and this is a little nothing, it has nothing to do with the story, but it's just kind of a fun little detail that David Fincher likes to throw in. But the uh, cigarette burns up on the, mm-hmm up on the screen yep every 15 minutes yep <laughs> 15 minutes goes by boop and those 15 minutes just happen to be at a place where and he might have cheated it by a minute or two but those 15 minutes when that boop happens that's it like a really big turning point in the story so like mm-hmm. the story goes on there's a big turning point boop and it goes 15 minutes more another turning point boop and that 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 was just kind of a little fun thing that I noticed the second time around. I, I didn't, you know, didn't sit there with a stopwatch, but knowing David Fincher, the uh, perfectionist that he is, I'm pretty sure that it's more than just an accident that those showed up when they did. Well, Mag is also, I guess, on a, on a superficial level or maybe value added level. If listeners, if you have not seen Citizen Kane, Mank is a perfect film to watch before checking out Citizen Kane, because you get a deeper look into the the relationship between Herman J. Mankiewicz and 
actress Marion Davies. Marion Davies, who was the soulmate or the lover of William Randolph Hearst, who is the inspiration behind Charles Foster Kane. You get really that fully fleshed relationship in Mank and then like what Eric Holmes is saying, he's he can't wait to see Citizen Kane again. But if you are if you are a newbie to Citizen Kane, what which a lot of people say is the best, the number one movie of all time. If you if you're an AFI guy, American Film Institute guy, it's like the number one movie in America. Period, as far as critical critical acclaim goes. But it's it's worth it. It's it's worth a double feature. Actually, I wish actually I wish I saw Mank and then Citizen Kane. I can't wait to sit to see Citizen Kane again. Bruce, did you? Were you surprised with the performance of Amanda Seyfried as Marion Davies? Because I think she's easily going to get an Oscar nomination. And I always thought she was a solid actress, but she just knocks this one out of the park. I've, I've seen her in a few things where I, I've always considered that she could really produce a great role like this. And she is, like you said, she is excellent in this. Having to play kind of the like outwardly ditzy, you know, you know trophy woman for this rich guy but really she's got a lot more going on and and she's she's kind of manks you know spiritual match in this you know which is kind of what you see as they go which i think there's a point where um manks wife one point says like another one of your uh what platonic infidelities or something like that so thought that was interesting <laughs> i think she should get nominated as well i also wanted to point out we didn't talk about the other actors in here of course we've got to me another standout was arliss howard as louis b mayer very good i thought he was great because he plays both the smarmy you know, no nonsense, uh, studio guy head, you know, and everything, but also just really underhanded and cutthroat when it came down to it. And that was the stuff that I thought was really interesting as well. So one thing we didn't mention too, is it's beautiful. The cinematography is spectacular, the black and white cinematography in this. And I think we'd all would probably agree with that. Other things that this movie I think has a billion layers. If you want to dive into this movie, you can find so much. I mean, he tells you in this script of this movie that he is basically going to somewhat mimic the form of Citizen Kane with this movie, which he does. And he tells you he's going to do it. And that's really interesting. I also think that just everything that Mank says in this movie is so dense and filled with subterfuge and snide comments and asides that you could just listen to his dialogue in over and over and over again and keep catching little things. And if you know what he's talking about, it's even smarter. And there's so many funny little things too, like, and I'll stop talking in a second here, but I think it was, I want to say it was when they were going into Irving Thalberg's office at one point. An example of the kind of asides you get where he says like, what's the smell in here? It smells like a barbecue or something like that. He says something like to that effect. And they go like, you know, don't let the, you know, don't let the Marx brothers, you know, (laughs) cook their hot dogs in here or something like that. And just little things like that. You're like, what? (laughs) You know, it's like such awesome little stuff like that. So I think it's going to end up being like Eric said, one of Fincher's best in my books as well. The fact that it's written by Jack Fincher, David Fincher's late father, is very resonant because this this script, the I guess the rough draft was completed in the early '90s, I believe. So I'm sure this has been a project that David Fincher has wanted to direct for years, in honor of his late father. And it's just quite the screenplay. And what's great is even though it is inside baseball, there are I guess a murder murderer's row of just names from Hollywood that I'm sure most people won't get. By the end of the movie, you know who they are. 
Do you know who Irving mm-hmm. Thalberg is? Do you know what kind of person he was as far as the studio goes? You know Louis B. Mayer. They become real human beings. You know, oh, Marion Davies. See, she was well, one successful actress and she really wasn't a ditz. And then, and then people after seeing this performance, they're going to Google Marion Davies and they're, they're going to read more about her and, and Hearst and everything like that. So I think there's so many things to glean from this. Even a small role where like Sam Troughton as John Houseman, he doesn't have a flashy mm-hmm. role, but John Houseman is a producer of Citizen Kane. He's a, the one who's always checking up on Herman Mankiewicz. Now I can imagine some teenager or, or maybe any person who's just trying to learn about this saying, hmm, what is... What was John Houseman's relationship to to Orson Welles? And then when they dig deeper, they realize, oh, so they weren't the best of friends. And that's kind of inferred in this movie as well. And I think another masterstroke of Mank is, it's not too much of a spoiler, Orson Welles is a really secondary player in this movie. Yeah. And that you could have taken the easy way out by, by just putting a lot of, just a lot more Orson Welles here. And it would have made it an easy out, but I'm glad that Orson Welles was really towards the background. It's really Mank's story. So, yeah. I'd, I'd also like to uh, add about uh, Jack Fincher, uh, the writer, uh, David Fincher's dad, who died in 2003. Yeah. And th- there's something really beautiful about this that, you know, s- and granted, he's uh, apparently David Fincher has been trying to make this movie since the, for a while now, um, but uh, he died 17 years ago. And his son, I I think, did a great job realizing his script. I and I think Eric Roth co-wrote some, like rewrote some of it. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how much, but the I don't know. There, there's something. Uh, there's something really beautiful about the uh, uh, your life going on past you your legacy continuing on and not only that like jack fincher wrote this thing i'm guessing he liked it which is why they wanted to make it and so that's his legacy but his son also his legacy is the one that brought it to fruition uh there's like a i'm really tickled about the whole behind the scenes thing uh so some would call it the what, what what's the word doesn't matter it's a stupid word but uh this, this is uh <laughs> That this is uh, this is a really great example of uh, someone honoring someone in their family, and so then there's that whole aspect of it that I love, and the fact that it's a great movie, and you know this very this could have very easily become a thing where like oh my dad did this thing and he's he's dead and and I got to do this thing to honor him and put it out and it sucks. How terrible would that be? That's not the case here. It's, it's, uh, you know, he had, uh, apparently David Fincher had some heart and, uh, really wanted to get this across and he did it beautifully and kudos for him for that and honoring his father in such a wonderful way. Hey, and this is a movie about a writer that isn't boring, right? Right. Now I I would give a warning to the casual moviegoer. They might have a real tough time with this because you have to invest in it. So I think the casual moviegoer might be like, uh, 30 minutes in, they might be like, what is the point? Cause it, like I said, it really takes about 45 minutes or so because they need to let you introduce you to all of these characters and the whole broad situation that's occurring so that when it all comes back around again, you know who everybody is, but that takes a while that to, to go. And I th- think that might be hard to keep the patience of a super casual moviegoer. but anyone who's pretty much into movies, into Fincher, into Hollywood, into a history should be able to stay with it and get a lot out of it. I think. So. You, I think there's going to be a lot of people who say, "Oh man, man, Mank was boring. 
And that's mm-hmm. just not going to be, and I, I get it. I mean, I get it. It's just not going to be for them, but the people who really like you, all those interests that you mentioned, Bruce, yeah. they're going to fall in oh, love yeah. with this movie. This is my yeah, favorite movie. And you've got to work. You got to work a little bit for this movie. You can't, oh, sure. it doesn't just give it to you on a platter. You have to, you have to give it some effort. So. Yeah, yeah if, I mean, uh, if, if, if Endgame, Avengers Endgame is the apex of what <laughs> film is capable of, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. This might not be for you in that case, but I, I mean, for the people this is for and the people that can uh, go on the ride and kind of let it soak into them, yeah, soak into their bones and soul, and th- this is pretty great and funny too. I, I, yeah, yeah. Mentioned, there's so many like little tiny lines, and they just fucking went right by me. And but but they're there, you know. They caught a couple of them. Watch it again. Caught a couple more. And yeah, it's it. it, it this movie is a lot funnier than you might catch on the first viewing, for sure. And and it's got a, a heart and a whole historical and political thing going on there. If you want it as well, I mean, it's got a ton of layers. If you want it, or if you just want to know, like, what's the story of the dude who wrote Citizen Kane and how that happened? You get that too. So you can kind of take whatever layer you want from it. But the fact that it gives you all those layers is what's going to make it really last the, you know, stand the test of time. I think. Now, did you guys know, um, Eric, did, what did you think of that character of his brother, Joe, Joe Mankiewicz, Joseph Mankiewicz? Not, not too much. There there was just the, uh, he he was kind of the one that didn't really like him. And then kind of came back when, when he, well, fuck, that's a spoiler. Uh, When he, That's all right. <laughs> when, when he comes back and he's like, uh, he, he drops a script down and the thing's as big as a phone book. He's like, you know, without the title page in your name, everyone knows who wrote that script. You know, just basically saying that he writes uh, kind of bloated. But then what he says before he leaves kind of, uh, it, it was pretty touching, I thought. Well, I think Bruce knows this, but here's the thing that'll blow your mind. What's cool about this is it shows the beginnings we're talking about comic books here, origin stories. This movie is sort of an origin. This movie is sort of this origin story of Joseph Mankiewicz as well. Okay, because Joseph Mankiewicz had a, a million times bigger career than his brother. So Joe Mankiewicz, he's talking about how his brother's a great writer, Herman Mankiewicz. Obviously, Herman Mankiewicz, great writer, proud of the Yankees, won, won the Oscar for Citizen Kane. But Joseph Mankiewicz, would go on to become one of Hollywood's biggest power players in the forties and fifties. He directed a letter to three wives. He directed one of my all time favorite movies. He directed by the way, guys and dolls, but he directed one of my all time favorite movies. People will talk. So, and he also directed Cleopatra. So many, a letter to three wives, the ghost of Mrs. Muir. So there's a lot of interesting, like Bruce was saying, there's so many layers behind this movie. The fact that the movie is about a writer and it's about a million writers. And then you can, I wish David Fincher, literally, I had a fantasy. Can he direct a movie based on all of these writers? Do like one of these, uh, one of these like little uh, mini series just based on all, all of their lives. Eric, you're saying. So you said he directed. So, okay. First he got the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, family within uh, one family movie maker, other one, same as what is making the movie. And he directed Cleopatra, which, David Fincher was also supposed to direct Cleopatra at one point. So, oh, really? I didn't know that. Wow, yeah, that, that, dude, this thing gets Plus, meta as hell if you really get into it. The, a Fincher movie about Joseph Mankiewicz trying to get 
Cleopatra made. That's the the Richard Burton one, right? Yeah, do it, do With it. Richard Burton and and Elizabeth Taylor, which is like a notoriously insanely messed up movie making and a bloated. I mean, that could be amazing, honestly. Yeah. Can you I'm, imagine that? That would be I, so good. Obviously, we're all sad about Manhunter ending. I mean, not not Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Mind, Mind Mindhunter. Yeah. Mindhunter ending. But I mean, if I hope David Fincher spends the next several years just <laughs> doing his own Avengers Endgame, and then each of these writers yeah. next up Ben Hecht next. You know, so <laughs> I, want see, I want to see. I want to see David Fincher's Elise Guy Blache movie. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. How about this? The next next one is David Fincher a movie about Ben Hecht. It's, it's since it's set, set in Chicago, maybe early days of Ben Hecht and the Chicago screenplay by David Mamet. David Mamet is David Fincher. Oh gosh, Ben Hecht film, right? So do it Mind before. That's amazing stuff. So okay, so Mank for for me it's a five. I'm sure for Bruce it's a it's a four, and and it's it's a steadily rising four. I think. Yeah, I, I I'd be amazed if it doesn't make it to four and a half. It could make it to five. It's not my favorite of the movie of the year at this point so but it could it'll easily probably make it in my top 10 i think we'll see i'm gonna go so far with you eric holmes and i'm gonna say this is at least a top 10 for you this year oh this is a perfect six out of nine for me and (laughs) yeah easily 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 a top 10 for me i mean chicago seven is really good uncle peckerhead's really good and this one this one's getting up there for sure and who knows after i watch it 10 15 more times it might even surpass those it, it's hard to say but I, I love this movie quite a bit okay speaking of loving this movie so that is mank december 4th we are talking about movies that we love i did not do my homework this week but bruce Berkey does a lot of homework eric holmes does a lot of homework harold and Maud came out in 1971 directed by hal ashby the writer is colin Higgins stars Ruth Gordon, Bud Court. I saw it for the first time this year. One of the reasons why I, I didn't see this movie all this time was because everyone would tell me how amazing Harold and Maude was. Is. And when I see that, I, I kind of go the other way. But Bruce, you saw this at a, I'm assuming the way you rewatched Vertigo. And one of the reasons why we watched Vertigo was because it affected me as a teenager to a profound level, 1971. Did you see this when you were a kid or may- maybe a teen? Tell me Tell me the first time you, you saw this movie. So I saw this, I was in, um, so in high school, it was the end of a kind of a, a experimental high school. So when I was there, it was the early eighties. So some of the older hippie English teachers were still around and they introduced us. They obviously loved movies. So we saw 2001 A Space Odyssey, we saw Walkabout, we saw, if you've ever seen it, um, Night and Fog, which is this incredible documentary on the Holocaust, which will, I think it's French and it's insane. And we saw Harold Maude, and that was the ones they had us watch. So uh, it hit me at a good time and I was really kind of hitting my, um, like kind of movie loving stride, like other than just, you know, the fun movies I was getting into like some different more challenging movies and it really hit me and over time i would keep you know how you always feel like what's your favorite movie what's your favorite movie oh, i can't answer my favorite movie and i would keep coming back to this one and i thought about it it always gets paired together with the graduate because they're these two kind of coming of age movies and kind of 
you know, there's a musical soundtrack that's very strong and there's kind of this anti-establishment kind of vibe to them. But to me, this one is just hits on so many other levels. It has just about everything I want in a movie. And that's why I love it so much. It's got humor. It's got great characters. It's got heart. It's got awesome music. It's, it's just endlessly rewatchable. I, I don't know how many times I've watched it and I watched it again today and I still loved it. And there are so many things I loved about it. And there are certain things that are kind of dated, uh, but I can't imagine anybody that I like hating this movie. They might just like this movie. They might say, Oh, it's okay. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's its own thing. But if they hated this movie, I mean, I don't think that's a person that I would want to know. I just, <laughs> you know, uh, and I think honestly, um, I guess we have to talk about what it is because people maybe have never seen it, but Maude is one of my favorite people. I don't think she's a character. I think she's a person that lives in my life. And I think Maude is one of the greatest people that's ever existed in humanity. I, I love her more than anything. I love her so much. Quote um, unquote on IMDb. Sorry, Bruce. Young, rich, and obsessed with death. Harold, played by Bud Court, finds himself changed forever when he meets lively I don't know how, how to pronounce this freaking word. Septuagenarian? Septuagenarian. Yeah. Mod at a funeral. Mod played by Ruth Gordon. So that is the simple plot synopsis of this movie. Yep. One thing you also have to know, listener, is Harold. He uh, grew up in a, I don't want to say lap of luxury, but he's, he's, he's pretty well-to-do family, sort of. But he tries to get always get the attention of his mother who is really only gives attention to Harold when he goes on some kind of suicidal bender, <laughs> but it's not really a bender. It's him just playing a joke. Right. So yeah. that's the main plot. Eric Holmes, yeah. do you, did you rewatch it? Did you, have you always loved this as much as Bruce? Has this always been right, right up there as like a Mount Rushmore type of movie for you? Oh, this movie's a turd kidding <laughs> um you're Harold dead to me dead to me <laughs> I, I haven't seen harold and mod I, I think i've only seen it like two or three times but uh it's uh it was a movie that took me a while to get to because i've heard it was good but you look at the like the dvd cover and it's the two characters and it says harold and mod and it doesn't scream great movie but it is and it's not the it's not the movie you might think it was. It certainly wasn't the movie I thought it was, because I'm thinking uh, this is homework. You know, this is just a you know a period piece of blah 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 meets blah blah blah. But this actually has uh, more of a Clockwork Orange flavor. I thought not not you know not nearly the same story, but I mean it opens up with uh, Harold hanging himself. Mm-hmm as a joke <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean the, the the so right away it's like oh okay the, we're in for some dark humor and it, it maintains that throughout it's and, literally uh his feet dropping off and hanging when the director's name pops up you know hal yeah. ashby and you see his legs hanging and that's yeah amazing and and i i would say for anyone that hasn't seen harold and Maud, you really need to check this out because if you've been avoiding it because I mean, let's face it, Harold and Maude's one of the worst names for this movie. <laughs> and any uh, any pictures or, uh, you know, publicity stuff you see about, I mean, publicity, that sounds weird, but it, it, any DVD covers you see does not even come close to matching 
the the heart this movie has the kind of uh, you know kind of black humor this movie has the fun this movie is none of that even comes close pretend this movie is called uh those crazy kids they're gonna fuck everything up movie <laughs> that's even worse i uh, don't pretend it's called that but uh yeah and harold and Ma- harold and mod basically is not the movie you think it is if you haven't seen it and it's pretty pretty fantastic and the thing that you i think that will help people too is that it's almost a series of vignettes like there's just all these little events and scenes that happen so it is not nothing is drawn out you know there's like tons of little sequences and a lot of them and in fact one of the things i noticed this time and i've like i said i've seen it a million times but i noticed how funny the transitions are um and i don't know if how much how ashby has to do with the direction of the you know how much he does with the editing but the editing is hilarious in this movie uh, along with just some of the dialogue and some of the situations themselves but um it's i mean it's just a fun movie and it like it's like we said it has heart and the opening is amazing. Uh, any great movie, I feel like a movie you love, the opening has to be great and the ending has to be great. And to me, the ending of this movie is fantastic. Hard to, it's hard to beat the ending of the movie. Hard to beat the ending of the movie. And as yeah. far as the editing goes, I think in the, I forgot if, if it's called Hal or Ashby. There was a documentary on Hal Ashby that was released mm-hmm. two, three years ago. And I remember they were saying how he actually, his entree into Hollywood was as a successful editor. He was the editor of The Loved One in 1965. In 1965, he also edited one of my favorite Steve McQueen movies, The Cincinnati Kid. If you've seen that movie, that's beautifully edited. And he's also, what other, what other, what other movies did he edit? The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, In the Heat of the Night. And I don't know what Gailey Gailey is. I think that's something else I uncredited. But in 1968, he also... Ashby also edited the Thomas Crown Affair. So uh. even before he got into Harold and Maude, Ashby was quite the editor. So good catch there, Bruce Perky. He knows his way around yeah. the it, transition. It, yeah, if you, 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 know, you watch this movie the first time, you're going to definitely be just wrapped up in the story and the events because it's so thick with those. But if you kind of watch it with more of a critical eye and watch how he edits, they're really wry and funny cuts. Uh, there's a perfect example. I'll give you one really simple one. There's a scene where him and him and Maude are in this field of daisies and it's really close to them. They're surrounded by daisies and they're having a conversation. And, and like all of her conversations, she has this kind of interesting philosophical edge to what she's talking about. And then it cuts from that. So they're surrounded by white daisies and it cuts to a long shot of them sitting in the same way in a, like a huge military cemetery surrounded by white gravestones. And it's almost imperceptible, but little things like that. And it's not done as like a shock or it's not done as like something, you know, like dire. It's just this ironic and wry little visual joke. And there's a lot of interesting things like that throughout the movie. I mean, there's the little, there's the scene with his car. We know that one, what happens with his car that he gets the gift. There's just tons of those in there. And there's little things too, where, where they don't really break the fourth wall, but, Harold will just stop and pause and he maybe he'll look at the camera just slightly and smile just a little bit. And it's just kind of like, yeah, you saw that, didn't you? You know, it's kind of a little stuff like that. It's just awesome. Oh yeah. One of the reasons I remember, one of the reasons why I actually avoided, I just remembered right now, Harold and Maude all these years. I used to have an old DVD of Harold and Maude. Yeah. It came out and it had a picture of Bud Cord and Ruth Gordon. And it looked like to me, I, I was thinking it's about a young kid who gets with 
an older woman like who could be his grandmother. No way am I watching this. This is a weird movie. So for years, I said, this is just no. And Bud Court, I mean, he, that's not a leading guy. Who is this guy? He's not Robbie freaking Benson. He's not your, your average. He's not the teen yeah. guy. And then suddenly I realized I wasted all those years not watching Harold and Maude because if you, if you, it's an interesting premise, but it's one of those life affirming films without being saccharine because Maude yeah. is like you were saying, Bruce, one of the best people you'll ever meet in cinema. And if your life isn't changed a little bit or altered from just meeting her on a viewing experience, then I don't know if you're a human at all. That's, that's one of those, one of those things you got to really, it's hard not to love Maude and what she stands for. And, uh, and what's even awesome about Maude is she's so awesome and she doesn't pat herself on the back about it. It, this is one of those yeah. movies that it's really, it's so hard to, it just hits the target perfectly. Also, Colin Higgins, the writer for Harold and Maude, check this out. His directing credits, okay? Foul Play, 1978, 9 to 5. And then, look, I saw this in 1982. I remember loving this movie and then real, reading just bad reviews about it, but I had a good time. 1982, the best little whorehouse in Texas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. And so this is a guy who wrote Harold and Maude, Colin Higgins. He died 1988, age 47 from AIDS. Okay. So sad, gone gone too soon. But as far as just movie credits, amazing movie credits. So. Oh, and last thing we didn't mention, you can watch this on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on Tubi. You can watch it on Pluto. You can watch it on the Criterion channel. So no excuse not to watch it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Eric Holmes, Maude, one of your favorite characters in, in cinema? Uh, yeah, I would definitely say so. I, actually, both kind of are. <laughs> I, yeah. it, it's a weird thing because it's a it's a love story, but it's not a, you know, it's not like a, a, a romance. I guess, I guess it kind of is. But yeah, they're just uh, they're just two fun people that it's, are. It's kind of a romance in the purest form, though, right? Like yeah, but when you that- when you say romance and you don't know what it is, you're gonna think that they're gonna bang by the end of it. Which yeah, spoilers. <laughs> there you go, spoiling uh, it, spoiling it left and right. But I, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to get people past the barrier of entry. These are the things that turn me off and why it took me so long to see it to begin with and. These are the reasons why you don't have to worry. Go in, watch it, and Heroin Mod is great. Um, it's only like 90 minutes, too. It's not like a long movie, either. You, so. you know what's so funny it, to see that? It feels oh, like a long movie. It feels like a long movie because you get a really good meal. It, it feels yeah. dense in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say that, too. It, it feels long, but not like God wins this thing over, but it feels long like, uh, wow, I really went on a journey, like kind of kind of epic almost. But like you say that, you think Lord of the Rings. But uh, but yeah, it, it, it feels long, but it does breeze by. But yeah, it's, uh, that's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, Bruce, do you feel like it has the right amount of, you know, it gets really, it, get, it can get, it gets really dark, but it doesn't go over the edge. It's funny and it has black humor, but it doesn't go over, over the edge. It has some really resonant moments, but it doesn't get syrupy. Do you feel like it's one of those things where it just hits all of those kind of benchmarks and it doesn't? Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's why it's one of my favorites because I think that I can definitely say there's other movies that I've been more obsessed with. There's been more movies that I think are maybe technically more like amazing, but this movie does 
everything that I want a movie to do. And that's why I love it so much. I mean, it's all movies in one, you know, it's got that comedy. It's got the heart. It's got, it's got a little bit of political stuff in there. If you want it, it's got, it's just got it all. It's beautiful. Oh, and last little thing, two of our three favorite movies have a San Francisco connection too. Cause this is mostly around in and around San Francisco. So yes. I thought that was interesting. And there's, this is a weird thing. We'll talk about memories, right? So the other way, way it connects with me is that there's a scene in there and it's hardly even noticed where they're both sitting next to this kind of like, it looks like junk sculptures. Like, yeah, I don't know if you remember this. There's, it's the moment where she's sitting there and she talks about birds. Uh, yes. she, she says, and she actually talks about a real political prisoner who was looking out from um, Devil's Island. And he was looking out at birds and he thought they were beautiful birds and he found out they were just seagulls. And she says, but I still like to think of seagulls as like these beautiful creatures. And they're kind of surrounded by these weird junk sculptures. And those are actually there. And you can see behind them the highway. And I remember when we would drive to San Francisco because we used to live near Sacramento. When you drive from Sacramento to San Francisco, you would see those oh, weird wow. sculptures in the mud flats as you drove by. And I remember seeing them as a kid. And I guess those were there to like around 80 or so. And this was filmed in what, 70, 71. So weird things like that, where you just literally see these favorite characters in a movie in a place that you've actually seen, kind of like Vertigo, when you see these actual places. And it just gives you that real world. It almost makes it real to you, I guess, you know? So that is, yeah. It's so basically Harold and Maude is pretty much streaming everywhere. Like, and I, I think most, I like Tubi, but Amazon Prime Video, I'm sure everyone has Amazon Prime Video. Check it out on Amazon Prime Video. The last three weeks, Bruce Perky made it a point to watch the movies that really inspired each one of us for, obviously, for him right now, it's Harold and Maude. A couple of weeks back, uh, last week, we spotlighted Inherit the Wind because Eric Holmes loves courtroom dramas. He loves issues. He loves the back. Right, right, Eric? You like the issues, the back and forth, and you just like the, the construct oh, yeah. of... Yeah, yeah I, just, I, I just like a good argument well presented. Now, movies don't always do that, but when they do, chef's kiss. <laughs> chef's kiss. Well, see, it's, it says a lot about Eric Holmes that he likes these issues. He like, likes these these issues presented and, and uh, argued about. Really cool. And he, Aaron Sorkin's a big thing for him. Harold and Maude, it goes straight to Bruce Perky's love for, I'm assuming, Hal Ashby. Hal Ashby was mm-hmm. really, really good editor and all, also multi-layered narratives. And there's a lot of humanity in Ashby's work. My favorite movie that we went back to three weeks ago was Vertigo, just because I love objectifying women. And that shows how little oh, wow. how little substance <laughs> I have compared to Bruce and Eric. No, but I'm kidding. I, I just I just love I love Hitchcock a lot. So I wanted I want to be as deep as you guys, but I, I I'm I'm you know Saul Bass intro to Vertigo is amazing. Bernard Herrmann score. One of these days, I'm going to get to the real meat. Like, oh, I'm all about the issues. I'm all about the humanity. Maybe down the line. But uh, that is Harold and Maude. Now we're off to our weekly movie recommendations. Eric Holmes, what's it, what's your top one? All right. Uh, I guess a uh, top one would be a 2020 movie. It's a documentary directed and written by John Campia. It's, it feels weird saying written by when you're talking about a documentary, but directed by John Campia for sure. And it's called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. Um, as you might uh, imagine, this movie's about movie trailers. Um, you know, they talk about where uh, movie trailers started. So there's like a lot of uh, historical context to it. And it brings it all the way up. You know, it kind of goes through the history of movie trailers from where it started to today, where we have trailers of trailers and 
they got uh if you follow like the schmo down or that kind of crew uh you'll notice uh, uh christian harloff robert meyer Burnett, gray drake scott mance shows up in this and it's just a documentary about movie trailers not much more to say about that other than it's a really fun thing to uh you know uh, th- th- this is like a you talk about you talk about movies that are cheeseburgers like they're not good for you but you really enjoy them and they're you know you like this this is this is the documentary version of a cheeseburger mm-hmm. there's not there's not a whole lot to it but there's you know there's stuff you can learn for sure uh some history lessons for sure but uh you know if you're a movie lover this is something that you probably want to uh probably want to check out i found this on amazon and I think you, I think it's got like a Vimeo link you can find somewhere to buy it there as well. Yeah, it, it's just movie nerds talking about movie trailers and the history of it. Not much more to say other than that, other than I watched it and I had fun watching it again. And I'll probably watch it another time and another time after that. Um, so 81 minutes, you learned a little bit about the history, a little bit about that. It's fun enough. Yeah. To- yeah. The, well, I mean, the his like uh, it, it, there seems to be a lot of recency bias on because uh, a lot of the uh, trailers they mention are from like the eighties on, and they they definitely talk about where trailers came from and like the the sixties. But then there's this whole kind of black area that they don't really touch on, and that very well could be that you know trailers and actually it probably is the trailers haven't really changed much in a certain amount of time. Until the internet hit. Well, okay. First of all, they talk about the uh, and I forgot the guy's name. The in a world guy. Mm-hmm. They, they have like a whole section dedicated to him and how you know how that changed, how uh, voiceovers and trailers and stuff change. That's cool. And then that and then uh, they go into this whole big thing about the Phantom Menace, where if you remember when uh, before Phantom Menace mm-hmm. came out, the only way you could see that trailer is to watch Meet Joe Black. So they talk about the people going to buy a ticket to watch meet joe black but they didn't go to watch meet joe black they went to watch the phantom menace trailer and then left and then and then they go into uh you know once the internet picks up how how people don't go to you know the theater to watch trailers anymore like they did with phantom menace now it's it's got this whole kind of internet culture and people doing reaction videos on trailers and so so on and so forth so yeah there's definitely a lot of fun to be had here i don't know if you're not a big movie nerd, I don't know how much uh, how much you'll get out of this. I mean, maybe you'll have fun with it, but for sure, if you're a, if you're a movie nerd, this is uh, required viewing. I think definitely fun and definitely learned a couple things. And uh, especially with us, there's probably more than a couple times where you'll see a thing go. Yeah, I remember when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, movie trailers, a love story, uh, written directed by John Campia. Check it out; it's Check good it out. stuff. So yeah, like Eric Holmes is saying, you can watch it on Prime Video. You can rent it, buy it from three ninety nine. That's what they said. So Eric Holmes, he yeah. rented it on Amazon Prime Video. Yeah. yeah, I would say I would say definitely rent it or buy it because I think this is kind of a lower indie sort of thing. Cool. And so anytime you can, you know, anytime you got uh, some indie thing coming out, anytime you can. Uh, Throw some bones to the uh, filmmakers. That's always a good thing, I think. Pop quiz, Bruce Berkey. How long is Meet Joe Black? What's the running time? Two hours and 40 minutes. Two hours and 40 minutes. Guess what? Three hours and one minute. Have either of you seen Meet Joe Black? I have not. Yes. Oh, you've seen, oh, oh, you've seen it? Yeah. Or, or, or were you one of those people who just saw the Phantom Menace trailer and you left? 
No, Tell no, it was in the, it, it wasn't in theaters. This was on DVD. Okay. Did you like it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was fine. I I don't remember a thing <laughs> about it, which is strange that, that it was three hours because I, I think I remember five seconds of it. Well, actually, no, I do remember. The one thing I do remember is the beginning where uh, he gets hit by the car. <laughs> Brad Pitt gets ping-ponged by three different cars. <laughs> first, so, okay, for, uh, let, let's talk about that for a second. You go in to see Phantom Menace. You're at least going to stay for, like, the opening scene, right? Just like, eh, maybe it's good. How do you not stick around for a little bit longer after watching Brad Pitt just get bounced between? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I by the way, know. by the way, before it gets <laughs> ping-ponged by a car, which I guess I, you know, I don't know if that if you were at the if you saw that of the movie and you were actually laughing through that, I don't know, I don't know what I, everyone else would think. They'd be shocked. But before the before his character gets hit, it has some of the most beautiful, uh, beautifully written chemistry wise meet and greet sequences between Brad Pitt and Claire Forlani. Three hours and one minute. Actually, the movie's highly underrated, FYI. But. I'm not going to make us see that movie because that's three hours and one minute. That's a lot of say. that's a lot of time, Bruce Perky. Now, do you have a th- what's your pick, Bruce Perky? Is it three hours or is it a little bit less than that? What's your no? What's your it is not not three hours at all. Um, I have the 1968 Mario Bava movie, which I had never seen before, but I had heard about it forever. And this is not a horror movie, and this is known most in most nations as Diabolique but Americans know it as Danger Diabolique. Uh, and I know that Eric has seen this as well. It is an amazing movie if you love spy movies, if you love James Bond, but you also kind of like the campiness of the original Batman. If you've watched and enjoyed any of the Austin Powers movies, I always assumed they were all totally inspired by James Bond, but I've got to believe that they had a bit of inspiration, if not a lot, by uh, Danger Diabolique um, by Mario Bava. Now, there's not too much you need to know about the story other than Diabolique, played by John Philip Law. He is not a government sanctioned spy like james bond he is actually kind of an anti-hero he is kind of against the cops and he's kind of against the gang you know the gangsters he's kind of out to stop them all kind of a chaos agent in a sense but he acts a lot like a spy kind of looks like what would you say eric he kind of looks like a a guy in a wetsuit sort of yeah (laughs) yeah a wetsuit but like he was trying to get the his head couldn't quite fit through the neck, so he just kind of left it there. <laughs> yeah. His, and the other thing that's kind of unusual about him, uh, so most of these spy guys, they all, they're womenizers, and they all have, you know, they keep meeting different femme fatales, or not even femme fatales, they meet, you know, the Bond girls kind of thing uh, throughout the uh, episode. They might have each movie, one or two, that they meet and have a fling with and then move along. Well, he doesn't. He has a, a, a dedicated woman, uh, Eva Katz, played by uh, Marissa Mel, and she is his sidekick, uh, and she is his love interest as well. And he has got... So, how to describe this movie? If you kind of take the vibe a little bit of Barbarella and blend that through Mario Bava's lens, you kind of get a little bit of a feel for this kind of crazy, wacky, groovy, late 60s mix of spiness. And I got to say, if nothing else... His underground lair is 
we talked about chef's kiss earlier. It is beautiful. And the Ennio Morricone does the soundtrack or the, uh, you know, the score and you won't very quickly forget. What is it? Um, that deeper down. What is he always singing there, Eric? That song that's always being sung. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's pre- it's a ton of fun. If you if any of that sounds interesting to you, you'll have a ton of fun with this. Um, who else is in this? Oh, other actors that are in this: uh, Michelle Piccoli plays Inspector Ginko, and I mentioned him a few weeks ago in that movie Bad Blood, that French movie. Uh, it also has Adolphe Selly, who is very famous as kind of the blonde, older blonde German evil dude that you see in Thunderball. And he is kind of the rich, blonde, older, <laughs> evil German dude in this movie. So so Marissa Mel, was she good in this movie? She, I mean, she's a beautiful 60s woman uh, helping him out. So she's awesome in that, you know. She's she just awesome has to do a ton. She doesn't have to do a ton other than be beautiful and be be his helper. So yeah, it's, it, it's basically like a, a feature length. Like you nailed it right at the beginning. Feature length uh, Batman, Adam West Batman, but yeah, like uh, definitely like a not. I, it's campy, but it's it's. I, I, it's a little just watch less. It. Just watch it. Yeah, it's like I said. It's it a it's that a kind little. of that combo platter, right? It's campy, but it it's just a little more serious than the batman yeah and it and if you like the look of this movie especially the underground lair and stuff you would probably love planet of the vampires because they are set design and artistically designed very very similar so okay greg you know how you're always telling us how how you love doing mushrooms and acid like you're always taking acid yes yes yeah this is the perfect movie for you Oh, Just, very cool. He, he'd take an acid like you always do, like you always tell us you do, <laughs> and then go watch this movie. Now, I know you don't smoke weed that much. I know you do, like, you know, often, just, but not a lot. But I just like the hard stuff, though. Weed. Yeah, maybe smoke some weed, maybe yeah. take some acid, bang some heroin, <laughs> and then watch this movie. It'll be perfect. Because, we, Greg, we all know how you're constantly <laughs> doing drugs. Yeah, you know, that, that's funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make... Um, I'm going to say something really sad though. Marissa Mel, she died age 53 in 1992 in Vienna, Austria, 1992. And here's, here's the thing. She died of cancer in poverty with only a few friends attending her funeral. That is sad. Sometimes IMDb is a very tragic thing, you know, but. um, Oh, one last little fact I, I discovered on there. Do you know, originally her part was supposed to be played by guess who Greg? I, I, I don't know. Catherine Deneuve. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. And this is like one of the first movies that uh, Dino De Laurentiis made. So, you know, Dino De Laurentiis, he went on and did all kinds of like big cheesy movies, you know, King Kong. And... It, it, it's weird. It's weird when you say that there was actors in this. Yeah. And that, that, that's, <laughs> it's a weird question. It's a weird sentence to even say out loud. But like to me, Danger Diabolic is uh, diabolique. Um, to me, it's always that this movie's always been a cartoon to me. Yes. So it, so when you say actors, I'm like, there's no actors. It's, yeah. It's diabolic. That's that's who it is. <laughs> and apparently, it was based on a series of of very popular comics. So yeah. it totally makes yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, we forgot, listeners. What what happened was earlier. I mean, if you look at our our episode guides, we did a spotlight. Thanks to Bruce Perky. We did a spotlight on Dario Argento and Mario Bava. 
And now I've actually watched a little bit more Bob. I really want to get more into his stuff too, as well as Argento stuff. But I ne- we, we never, I don't remember us or me asking either of you, who is your personal favorite out of the two, Baba or Argento? I don't think that was broached during the episode. So Eric, you first, Baba or Argento? Well, well I mean, first of all. <laughs> oh, Dar- oh, I forgot uh, to mention, you got to check the beautiful Dario Argento shirt. Is that from... Um, Bungle? Was, uh, uh, no, it was from when uh, Goblin played live. Oh God! Oh wow! And, Look at that! Um, That's an amazing. I, I would say, shirt. But I, I would say probably Dario Argento only because I've seen I haven't seen all of his movies, but I've seen a lot of Dario Argento. Where Mario Baba, I've seen a more than a few of his movies, and I I love his movies. But I'm more. If we were doing a trivia contest, I'd get more questions about Dario Argento right than I would about Mario Baba. So I guess, and and they're kind of they're similar, but they got different kind of styles to it. So it also yeah. depends on what movie I'm in or what uh, mood I'm in. You know, if I'm in, you know, if I want to see something kind of uh, really, you know, dark and kind of kind of trashy, I probably be more of the Dario Argento. And if I want to look at something bright and kind of also kind of trashy, I guess I go with Mario Baba. Yeah, I, I, it's it's weird. They got different flavors to me. Then it's very specific, nuanced flavors, but it, they're a little too different for me to pick one. But gun in my head, I'd probably say Dario Argento. Bruce? I think I would probably lean towards Argento too. And it's, it's just like Eric said, they're different. I think Baba overall not all totally but overall he's a little more a little more kind of in between classic movies and classic b movies and gothic movies and then he kind of leans into a little bit of the slasher stuff towards the end and a little bit more towards giallo stuff but i think argento in his heyday for me his heyday is from basically from the beginning of his career up to like the mid eighties, he's making some amazing stuff straight on through. So really, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I guess that's not a, a fair thing to ask. You know, it's, it's hard. They're both quite, quite the filmmakers. You know what I realized guys, before we get on uh, with some more recommendations, can you name one of, Oh, Eric Holmes, you're the Quentin Tarantino expert. Someone was asking Tarantino, what are some of his most influential movies when he was growing up, which helped him realize that he wanted to become a filmmaker. Do you know? Yeah. Can you name? Oh, you know the name, oh, Bruce knows I the answer. Name a couple of them. Let's hear it. Uh, well, I'm sure good, it's bad, and the kill, kill baby kill. I think so. He's gonna Man say. knows hands of fate. He's mentioned uh, good, bad, and ugly, and yeah, probably that one. The faster pussycat. The oh, faster pussycat. Kill kill. That the what Russ Meyer. I'm one? saying kill baby kill by uh, oh. by Baba. I think he's Ooh. mentioned that one. Oh. All right. I didn't know that he mentioned. Okay, so well, I I actually checked out this Sirius XM interview with him today. They asked him what what are some of his favorite movies when he was a kid that actually influenced him. He said to become a filmmaker. He said the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's mentioned Mario Baba. Mm-hmm. So it might be Kill Baby Kill. What is it? Was that movie? What's the name of that movie? I, it's Kill Baby Kill. I think it's the one I thought he had mentioned that he liked a lot. He mentioned Black Sabbath. No, yeah, I can see that too. Black Sabbath, and he said, I mean. Wow, and you, Eric Holmes, have you seen? Black, you haven't seen Black Sabbath yet. There, uh, that was a long time. It was either that one or what? What's the other one? Black, Black Sunday. Sunday. I, yeah, Black Sunday is black one and white. Of them so. or both of them. Okay, so we definitely saw the black. Those were way back in Splatterhouse days. So either way, I, I should probably rewatch both of them because, uh, yeah. Okay. 
well, you know what I'm going to do? What I'm going to do? Because we remember several weeks ago, we did this whole uh, mail DVD thing. I'm going to send you my copy. I realized I, I watched Black Sabbath on Canopy. I had no idea that I actually bought it. So I'm going to send you the Black Sabbath Blu-ray. So you, you, can, you, can do a, you can do a rewind. Tell, tell us what you think of Black Sabbath. Yeah. Because we all know. write your name on it, and then I'll write my name on it, and then we'll send it out, and that'll be the next one. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. I haven't heard what happened with Intensity so far, but maybe we'd get a Black Sabbath copy floating around there too. Yeah, right. But yeah, some Baba stuff. Okay, so um, Eric Holmes, what's your next pick? And then we're going to wrap it up with you, Bruce. All right, uh, then in that case, we'll go with a 2019 movie uh, directed by Frant Guo. This might actually be a rewind, too, back when Louis Lacau was with us, but it's mm. called The Wandering Earth, or was that Louis, or was that uh, Bruce that did this? I never, I never uh, finished, I never, I started watching this movie, and I totally forgot about it. I never went back to it. I need to. Okay. So I don't know what happens in this I, movie. So. I don't know if you need to. Uh- <laughs> This is uh this is a uh this is a complete popcorn movie. Um okay. I'm a huge space nerd. Um this isn't a movie that drove me nuts <laughs> for like the first half hour uh with all the stuff that um okay, so the sun is uh dying and when it dies, you know, starts running out of fuel, it gets bigger. It gets bigger, it becomes a red giant. That part's real, and the earth is starting to uh, uh, dry out, become hotter, and they need to get to another, they need to find another star, because uh, earth is not going to be habitable for long. So what would you do in that situation? Well, in the wandering earth, they would put a bunch of rockets on the earth and push it out of the solar system. <laughs> <laughs> so right away i have a problem with this movie uh, just the <laughs> physics of this but um if you heard that last sentence that i just said and you're like i could eat some popcorn and get into that this might be the movie for you it's uh it's very stupid apparently you need a lot of guns uh when you're trying to push the earth via rockets <laughs> and uh yeah just it, it's it's it, um it's kind of a, a lower budget version of a uh, what? What the hell's his name? Roland Emmerich movie. This is a Roland Emmerich mm, movie. Mm-hmm. This should have been directed by Roland Emmerich. It's that stupid. But you know, if you're in the mood for that sort of thing, this is this is this will fit right in there. It's uh, I don't know if it's uh, Korean or Japanese or maybe Chinese. It's an Asian movie for sure, which is really weird for me. Because pretty much every Asian movie I've seen has been really good to one degree or another. And this one <laughs> is the first uh, a movie within Asian cinema that I've seen that's like, oh, this is American trash is what this is. Um, but I mean, it, it, it's fun and it's stupid and it ends exactly how you think, think it will. Uh, spoiler alert. They shoot people until the earth is saved. <laughs> <laughs> the wandering uh, earth. And, and uh, we're, we're going to end on Bruce Perky's final recommendation of yeah. the week. But because you mentioned the wandering earth, Eric Holmes, Herman Mankarix, I am just going to throw in Wander. My pick is Wander. I have a recommendation called Wander. You guys don't know what this movie is about. It hits select theaters digital and on demand December 4th. Okay. Wander is directed by April Mullen. Okay. 
I just interviewed her today. I'm gonna to put I'm gonna post the interview up on our uh, Patreon, our Cinematics Patreon folks. Little plug for my other podcast, Cinematics. But here's the thing. Wander. After have you guys heard of that other podcast I do? A little, little it's sort of it's, it's all right. Cinematics. Yes, that, that's the that's the one. But most importantly, Wander. Here's a plot synopsis. After getting hired to probe a suspicious death in the small town of Wander, a mentally unstable private investigator becomes convinced the case is linked to the same conspiracy cover-up that caused the death of his daughter. So the person, the former cop who is now a mentally unstable private investigator is played by Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart plays Arthur Bretnick. He's a PI. Yeah, we, we love Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, Eric Holmes just put thumbs up. We all, Bruce, you're your Aaron Eckhart mm-hmm. guy as yeah. well. So our, it says PI person, but... Arthur Bretnick, these days, he lives in a trailer out in the middle of New, New Mexico, out in the middle of nowhere, okay? He is a podcaster like us, but instead of reviewing movies, Arthur, <laughs> Bruce just says, no, we're not. We're not, we're not even. <laughs> making podcasters in movies is often like just as bad as making a band in a movie. It better, they better do it right. <laughs> By the way, what was, it, what was that wonderful movie about what heavy metal or heavy, was it heavy trip? What was the one on Amazon prime video you love about music? Heavy, heavy, metal? Tr- heavy trip. Yeah. Heavy trip. Okay. So yeah, I definitely got to see heavy trip. That's on Amazon prime video. You guys got to watch heavy trip. He loves Bruce Perky. Loves, loves, loves that movie. But anyways, wander Arthur Bretnick. He's a conspiracy theory podcaster and his co-podcaster is his name is Jimmy Cleats. Cleats, Jimmy Cleats. He's played by this little known actor, Named Tommy Lee Jones. So imagine two podcasters, Aaron Eckhart and Tommy Lee Jones, pretty much headlining your film. That should hopefully draw people to this movie. Here's the thing. I really enjoy this movie, but the, I, it's, getting, it's getting mixed reviews. I, I've, I've read a couple mixed reviews. It's just the visual language is so... I, I'm, okay, so we talked about Citizen Kane earlier. Okay, Citizen Kane and Mank. A lot of Orson Welles' movies, like the what the Trial or a bunch of his other F for Fake, you have to really get into his editing style, the visual language. If you understand the visual language where he's going with it, you get you can buy into Orson Welles' language. Okay, some of the stuff maybe scatter shot if you don't know his stuff very well. What the director April Mullen is going for, Wander, she could have made this a linear story, like a film noir twist-driven story, but she, there's so many things that are going on with the sound mix, the editing. We talked about Sound of Metal, how much we love Sound of Metal. There's a lot of stuff that she throws in the kitchen that I think people will just go, oh my God, this is completely different. So I loved the way Wander was shot and edited and mixed, and it's an interesting movie. I, I don't want to give too much away, but the conspiracy stuff is really well done. Heather Graham's in it. She's very good in this movie, has a pretty good solid cast. And I hope this movie gets a lot more, Wander gets a lot more attention when it comes out on December 4th, because I think this April Mullen, I know I did interview her. I, I'm so glad I got to interview her because she is very a very talented filmmaker. And I kind of, the way I felt about Chloe Jaw when the first time I saw the writer, I feel the mm-hmm. same way about April Mullen and Wander. I think if she steps, she can step up to the plate. If I was a studio head, I'd give her a bigger budget movie to actually shoot because she has a very interesting visual and storytelling style that I don't see a lot of filmmakers have. I, I was really 
I really bought into Wander. I know, like De Palma, De Palma is an acquired taste. I have a feeling Wander is going to be a very acquired taste for some people. I thought it was very entertaining and it's one of those movies that'll even get better on a second watch. I was very intrigued by this movie. The ending, we're talking about the ending of Harold and Maude. The ending of Wander was, was a keeper for me. So I'm going to see if I can try to get you guys some screening, screener links to see maybe if you liked it as much as me or if you would love to hear what you guys think if you have time to see it next week. That is Wander, directed by April Mullen. And uh, yeah, that is my last recommendation. Last but not least, Bruce Perky, you're going to lead us out with your final recommendation. Yes, my final recommendation is... Porno. So go watch porno. That's it. I second that recommendation, by the way. Yeah. No, okay. Have you been looking <laughs> we'll at, go a little you, further here? Have you been looking at my Chrome browsers? Is have you been <laughs> yes. I gotta clean my I've cache. been tapping into you. I did a remote into your computer and oh, I no. don't want to tell you what I saw. Do okay. not share so, screen. <laughs> what I'm actually talking about is um porno. It's a 2019-2020 horror comedy directed by Akiola Rosella. Uh, this is currently available on Hoopla or Shutter. It just finally dropped uh, and it had done a limited, I think mostly just a VOD kind of release in the spring. And I had kind of heard some buzz about it. And then just recently, our friend Andrew from Andrew Watches Movies had said, hey, you should go check this out. So I went and checked it out. And I was very pleasantly surprised. This is, this is, it's not the same as Uncle Peckerhead, but if you like that sort of, kind of that sort of vibe, that sort of fun, but there's also some gore and there's horror, then this might uh, catch your eye. And I'll kind of give you the basic rundown of what porno is all about. So porno takes place apparently in 1992 because the theater is currently showing A League of Their Own. I forget one other movie, but from that time period. And it basically follows- Matinee, the- showing Matinee from Joe Dante, by, directed by Joe Dante. It's not, but uh, <laughs> there was another movie and I forget what it was. So they're basically showing these movies and it's, it's this group of teenage kids. And what's kind of an interesting twist on this movie is they're all Christian teenagers and it's not played. Um, it's not played a, to like make fun of them in a sense that it's not looking down on them for being Christian teenagers, but it plays with the fact that they're all in various levels of, you know, devoutness, I guess you'd say. And the way this works is the the manager of the theater uh, every Friday night says, hey, you can stay behind and watch one of the two movies that we're showing here in the theater. And you guys can just have a theater yourself and it's, it's all good. And that's kind of the, the beginning of the movie is they're going to do that. And uh, what happens is something happens. Uh, an unusual, is he crazy? We're not sure. Old kind of homeless guy comes into the theater and they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And he bursts behind one of the posters and there's a hidden door that leads to a basement of the theater where there's an underground hidden old porno theater and they find a possibly cursed movie. And that leads to all kinds of craziness. And this will be a Bava connection. If you've ever seen Lamberto Bava's Demons from the 80s, it kind of has a little bit of similarities to the the story there and that a movie might create or embody some demonic forces. Uh, so what is the fun to be had here? The, the, the scary demon side of things is kind of, it's there. It's kind of tangential. The most, most fun to be had here is the characters and they're, they are a lot of fun and they're endearing, uh, especially the projectionist 
who, if you know anything about kind of Christian culture, 90s Christian culture, straight edge, he's straight edge. And he, he's got the red X, you know, the black X's on his hands. And it is hilarious little things. They call him heavy metal um, Jeff. And uh, he's super hardcore. You know, he's serious about everything. And in fact, one point they even say to him like, hey, heavy metal Jeff. He goes, call, stop calling me heavy metal Jeff. I'm not heavy metal. I'm hardcore, you know, and there's all that kind of stuff going on. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and wackiness ensues. And I will say, though, it does definitely give you some nudity, as you might expect. And it does give you some gore. And it's to me, it's a lot of fun. If you're into that kind of vibe, like we said before, Uncle Peckerhead, Evil Dead, that kind of thing. I think you could do a lot worse than watching this movie. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Porno. Okay. Did Good title. It, Eric? What's that? Did you end up watching it yet? No, no. I, I thought we were talking about, I was going along with the joke. <laughs> the <laughs> joke that porno? no other movie reviewer will make when talking about this movie. But I will say that uh, I do prefer uh, some nudity and gore in my porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right but it's a fun it's a fun movie bottom yes line. it's a fun movie and but it's got horrific elements uh and i think i had mentioned to to eric that it's probably got one of the best cringy humorous gore moments since uh something about mary's beans and frank scene and i'll kind of <laughs> leave it at that oh, yeah. <laughs> wow that's with so you know what that's high praise right that's high praise oh yeah there's a moment in there where something happens and you're going to be like Oh, well, they're certainly not going to show that. And then they show it and they really linger on it. And they really like do some stuff with it. And you're just like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> so if you like that kind of stuff and you can go with it, it's not definitely not highbrow um, below the line, as you might want to say. But, <laughs> <laughs> but fun below but the line, right? Yes, it is. It is fun. Okay, porno. So I can't believe we are we are closing our episode <laughs> on a porno. But it's Bruce Perky recommends it. You know what? How about this? It's it's a lot less crass than the Painted Bird, don't you? I'm sure you'd agree with that, right? Yeah, it's got a lot more heart than Painted Bird. It's got better characters than Painted Bird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's got yeah. better nudity than the Painted Bird. Okay, there you go. Your endorsement. So, if listeners, if you have a chance of either seeing the Painted Bird or Porno, Bruce says go see Porno. And I bet you, Eric Holmes, he was a little bit mixed on the Painted Bird. I'm sure once he sees Porno, he will say the same thing about it as well. And I know what he will rate it. Absolutely. Right now, I can tell you right now. What <laughs> what's, the, what's the rating, Eric Holmes? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. But I got a, I got a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah, so, nine out of 100. <laughs> okay. Oh, hey, Greg, before you yes. sign us off, mm-hmm. I, you were asking about what should our little um, tagline be? I had an idea. Yes. Uh-oh. Find your film value addled. <laughs> value addled. <laughs> it's a value. Add- We're a value addled podcast. I like that. I like that value. Because <laughs> I always say, okay, so that's a that's a, a a wonderful dig because I always say value added because I know not I don't know any other thing to say other than value added. But I think value addled is a lot better uh, with our Find Your Film podcast. We are uh, doing a back-to-back today. So after this, we're going to tune in for our Walter Hill director spotlight. Eric Holmes, you want to say anything before we're out of here? Walter Hill, about life, about your your favorite number? I don't know. What do you want to say? You want to say something? Oh, we'll we'll definitely get into some Walter Hill, but I just want to thank everyone for listening to Find Your Film, a uh, value-addled four-star podcast where we party. (laughs) 